All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of The Big Questions with Big John. I'm your host, Big John. And as usual, or I should say not as usual, this is our first repeat guest. And the last time this gentleman was on, he said to me, I'll know if you like me, Big John, if you invite me back to your show. Well, Bob Zadek, I did like you. You're back on the show. A uh, fellow former New Yorker, Queens man at some point, I believe. Uh, welcome Jamaica back to school. the show. Welcome Jamaica back High to School, 1958. There you go. Welcome back to the show, Bob. Always uh, happy to see you again and talk to you. A like-minded fellow libertarian. Thank you, John. Glad to be back. Thank you yeah. for inviting me. Yeah, I love it. Okay, Bob. So let's get right into it. I, I asked you back on the show because I thought this would be a good uh, opportunity to talk about libertarian perspectives as relates to sports. And there's a couple of major issues that libertarians have, uh, I believe, POVs that are different than the mainstream or those, I'm not even going to uh, uh, put it politically, but just say different from those of most people who enjoy sports, most sports fans. So let's start with some uh, uh, an easy one, which is the use of steroids or perhaps um, performance enhancing drugs, usually referred to as PEDs, and their use in sports. Now, most, if not all, uh, sports leagues, athletic organizations, uh, ban the use of steroids and PEDs in general. Let's start with the blanket statement from you. What is the libertarian position in your mind on the use of PEDs in professional athletics, professional sports? So long as you don't give me the burden of answering that on behalf of every libertarian who's ever walked the planet. <laughs> um, let me give you my perspective sure. and I will defend it or explain it. I don't have to defend it. I'll explain it by reference to libertarian principles. Fair enough. So therefore, I will assume that most libertarians would more or less agree with me, but I'm not speaking for them. I'm not reciting the dogma, but I'm happy to give, offer a perspective, not often finding its way into public discourse okay. on steroids and sports. And I would suggest, and I invite your listeners to challenge me if they choose to do so, that my I thought about this because I live in my head a lot. And therefore, this is a thoughtful, not a knee-jerk reaction to the topic. Mm -hmm. So we start with the broad principle that without me rudely answering a question with a question, first I'll answer your question with an answer. Fair enough. I see as a principle no reason to ban the use of any performance-enhancing drug uh, in professional sports. Now, I noticed a qualifier, professional sports. There are perhaps different issues at high school and middle school conversations about that. And so, because children are not consenting adults. I was going to say, and, you have the age of consent there. Yeah, that so therefore, issue, right? yeah. therefore, the, the low-hanging fruit for this conversation, at least to begin with, is professional sports. So I'll say absolutely that athletes should be permitted 
to put in their body whatever they wish. After all, it is their body. And having answered, answered, provided an answer to your question, I'll come back to continue the conversation with a counter question. What are the reasons against it? Because I have not heard a thoughtful reason against it. So we can have a conversation if you either, because this is what you believe, or be a devil's advocate, uh, if you don't mind me forcing you into the role of devil, sure. be a devil's advocate and tee up some of the major issues as you understand it, which oppose the use of performing anti-drugs. And that way we can we can dig down into my answer. And I'll say before I, I turn it over to yeah. you, um, I will say when I have conversations either on my show, on your show, or sitting around Starbucks talking to my friends, when I have conversations, I find anybody's opinion on anything to be boring. However, why they think it is fascinating. Sure. So that's why I ask you, drill down yeah. and learn why I answered the question the way I did. And that's where the fun is. Right. So sticking to your low-hanging fruit, as you called it, the professional sports question, because I agree with you. When you're talking about children, when you're talking about people who cannot give uh, reason consent, I agree with you. Perhaps uh, at that point, there is some, some case to be made for regulation. So sticking to professional sports, uh, here's one I hear all the time. It's a form of paternalism. We have to protect the players from themselves. That in their zeal to perform for the crowds, they will initiate activities that either they are unaware of or not really appreciative of how much damage they can cause to them. Okay, um, the good place to start, but it's not very low-hanging fruit because it's too easy to rebut. Hmm. Watch this. Sure. First of all, they may not be aware of the damage drugs cause. Therefore, I say, okay, I will concede, provide disclosure. Mm. Have, teach every professional athlete, when they put on your uniform, have them go to a course and learn all the damage that can be done to drugs. Now, if I stop there, because I'm good, you said two things. You said uh, they're going to damage their body and they may not be aware. So I'm going to break down your two-part answer sure. to separate issues. So right. number one, if I say that, are you then okay? Because now they say, I know I'm going to shorten my life. I know this. I know that. I'm all in. I want to, I want to be in the Super Bowl. I want to be in the World Series. Right. And I'm willing. And by the way, that's not irrational. Right. Because we know that some people undertake a highly hazardous occupation. The most hazardous occupation statistically is deep sea fishing mm. uh, on a fishing boat. Also, of obviously, um, working high up in construction right. towers. Right. We can name them. Do we prohibit it? Do we say, no, that activity, which you are doing because you want to make money, and you want to be good at it, right? You're you're going to go to jail if you do it. No, we allow people 
to make decisions for purely economic reasons. I will sign on to a fishing boat, despite the fact that statistically I'm going to harm myself right. because the pay is so darn good. We don't look at them crazy. It's fine. So tell. So therefore, I've disposed of. I think the issue of it's bad for them. Now, right, second, right. now, second of all, what about the fact that it's just plain harmful? Well, I submit to you that we all know that a lot of the training that one does to become at the top of the sports hurts your body. Weightlifters right. destroy their body with, with drugs that are legal. They destroy their body with training. We know that young girls whose parents want them to be ballerinas do horrible damage, grotesque damage to their young bodies in the, in the activity of becoming a skilled ballerina. So what's the big deal? So long as people know what they're doing, where's the there there? That's my response to both halves of your question. Right. And they're perfectly, I think, in line with libertarian thought, the, the concept of self-ownership, uh, uh, bodily autonomy, and things of that nature. So I agree with you. Uh, but here's one other option. Uh, here's a second uh, to play devil's advocate as you put me in this role, which I'm happy to do. Uh, what about the case where there may be player or players who are on some sort of PED that isn't necessarily known to the rest of the league that may provide danger on the field to it. Um, if someone is super jacked up at the plate, he puts players in danger that are closest to him, pitchers, first, uh, first baseman, third baseman. Or if uh, someone is a safety in the NFL who's super jacked up on a substance that the rest of the players are unaware of and therefore have not been given their consent to face, uh, that he may cripple someone or kill someone on the field via a hard hit. Uh, how would you argue that? Piece of cake, John. Piece of cake. I would say the same rules that one would apply off the field. What if somebody is jacked up and in the supermarket harm somebody on the because of the result of the very same drug. Civil law clearly allows the party harmed to assert a claim against the other party because their behavior was negligent or whatever the standard is under tort law. So we already have a whole body of law. Just because two players are on the field doesn't mean they are exempt from all civil law. And I dare say, let's take one player in your hypothetical just is having a bad day at home mm. and, and is so angry, he does bodily harm to somebody on his team or the other team. Right. He spikes them. He steps on their foot. He punches them. He kicks them. He's going to be liable under just plain civil law. He'll be right. liable. So that question has already been answered. That the harmed person has a claim. But 
I understand what you're saying, but typically when those cases have occurred in the past, it's because of something that was egregious and not within the context of the sport. So typically getting into a fight in practice, uh, there was a famous football case where one player broke a teammate's jaw. I believe Geno Smith's jaw was broken when he was with the Jets. Um, those are those are cases that fall outside the field of play. For example, when Daryl Stingley uh, was paralyzed by Jack Tatum during a game, there was no civil action because that was considered in the course of the game and considered um, uh, uh, acceptable uh, risk, inherent risk in the action being taken. It wouldn't be very much of a change in existing law if the case law when let's say the standard is negligence mm. as a very as an understood standard by our audience uh, if we simply if the case law simply defined negligence and maybe it already does to include a player who takes a drug which increases the likelihood he's going to harm another person and that happens i have no problem with the damaged party having a claim against what's called the tortfeasor, the one who did the bad act. It's too easy. You just, that's, that you raise an issue that is, that is two humans. There's a victim and there's a, a the tortfeasor, the one causing harm. It's, you resolve it. They sort it out in the courts. And okay. it wouldn't, so it's, that's not a reason to make a sport-wide rule that doesn't seem so far in the show doesn't seem to have a good reason uh, okay so would you be in favor of um an intermediary body sort of an arbitration panel within each sport because they would be in the best position to decide if something was within or without the context of the sport sure of course um okay. hey, look dispute resolution is my favorite concept. There you go. I don't want people, I don't want it to be six shooters, if there's such right, a thing right, or, or right. nine shooters or blocks. Gotcha. Yeah. So of course, anything that provides a non-violent solution, I'm all for it. Okay. What about now the argument that comes from the quote purists of sports? Those that say, listen, there were players who achieved certain standards, who achieved certain records, who otherwise competed without the aid of PEDs. Bob, should we not as a society aspire to promote athletics as something pure, as something not to be tainted by PEDs? Wouldn't that be an argument against the, le the legalization of PEDs in pure. sports? Pure, hmm. let me pause and wipe the moistness from my eyes <laughs> as you quietly search for purity. Yeah. I don't even know what that means. For example, for example, is it fair if one player growing up, because as we know, athleticism starts at a very young age. Right. One player grows up privileged in a wealthy home has private uh, instructors, eats a good diet her whole life, is trained on how to care for your body, is not exposed to any damage because they're protected because of their a lifestyle. 
Many tennis players go through this, for example. Exactly. And then we have others who don't have that benefit. I fail to see the purity of it all unless you're prepared to do what's done in a totalitarian society where the best athletes are plucked from society, turned over to government, and they are given special treatment. Um, If you favor that, okay, we can have a conversation. But there is no purity. Uh, Plus the fact, plus the fact that we have athletes who benefit from more knowledge. Babe Ruth smoked in the dugout and drank beer in the dugout. And his cleats were crap. His baseball bat was crap. Uh, His clothes didn't fit right. He didn't have the benefit of Daryl Jeter. So, So to talk about fairness is an absurdity. There is no fairness. It's all, there is so much of an imbalance now. And if you don't want to stop there, a whole other subject, but I'm just going to mention the topic and not change subjects, is tell me about the fairness of somebody who's five foot five and wants to be a professional basketball player. You're right. So how about having a league? We are not allowed to play in the league if you're more than five seven. And they do have leagues like that, believe it or not. It's just that they're not very popular because they're boring. So you don't, you don't see them. They shouldn't be boring. They should be more interesting. Well, it should be more competitive. It should be more competitive. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So I agree with the boring part of it. But all I'm saying is on the issue of fairness. um, And then there's there's another issue. We are starting with a topic where we assume what it means. Performance enhancing drugs. Those were your first couple of words. Right. Just so the audience can follow the conversation, supply your definition, just so you and I are discussing the same thing. What is and what is not a, your words, performance enhancing drug? Just tell the audience what you mean. Sure. A performance enhancing drug, typically speaking, is something that gives a the user an edge in athletic performance an edge in recovery an edge in stamina that otherwise could not be gleaned through other means in other words aspirin if you have a headache in other words in other words a painkiller if you have um a minor muscle pull um now if you well, I, wouldn't so, take a painkiller now right. And a painkiller doesn't occur naturally in the body, obviously. It's artificial. And since the, the muscle sprain does occur naturally, does aspirin or any other off the, off the, over-the-counter painkiller, does that count? Should a player be forbidden from taking dr- cold medication? If they have a cold, which occurs naturally, they go on the field, sneeze and cough and choke and throw up on the field, but they can't take anything for it. Because that's performance enhancing, at least for that activity on that day. You're absolutely right. And to be honest with you, I'm I'm finding a little difficult to keep throwing these questions out at you because I tend to share your beliefs. But I agree with you in the sense that one of my biggest beefs with, with PDs in general is What's considered a PD? When is it considered a PD? For example, the 1960 
San Diego Chargers, I believe, their offensive line, the ones that are still alive, will tell you, back when they didn't know what steroids were, they were taking them like vitamins every day. There's players who describe the coaches putting out bowls of steroids, anabolic steroids, out in the locker room, and they would just grab like a hand. M&Ms. Like, like M&Ms. M&Ms. And they had a distinct advantage over other offensive lines and defensive lines that were not aware of the value of steroids. There was a professional wrestler, wrestler, superstar Billy Graham, who is very open about how many steroids he used and how often he used steroids. But he said, when I took them, we did not know of their effects on the body. Had I known of the effects on the body, I would not have taken them. Is that a reason for you, in your mind, to have some sort of regulation to say, all right, maybe we don't ban PEDs, but would we be okay with PEDs that have been tested and perhaps, say, approved by some regulatory body? Of course. Uh, informed consent. A consenting adult can do whatever she chooses to do with her body. It's her body. There's core, basic libertarian dogma. People are free to damage their bodies so long as they don't harm others and so long as they have not been subjected to fraud or deceit or coercion. It has to be a, a, a voluntary decision, uncoerced. But after that qualifier, it's okay with me. And, you know, uh, I like to share... When did I? When was the morning that I first started thinking about the irrationality of this subject? I'll tell you the very morning, and I'll tell you the event. I was reading. This is going to be a, an admission, and I asked my friends, "Do not think badly of me." Okay. I was I was reading the New York Times, um, and in in the lower right hand corner of the front page of a paper paper mm. a decade or more old ago. school yeah old school there was an article it was around the time right before the olympics and the issue was there was somebody training for a marathon as i recall mm-hmm. and in order to train he his coach had constructed a room a training room where they sucked out much of the oxygen. I know exactly, yep. And they did that because the Kenyans were always winning the distance running because they grew up at 11,000, 14,000 feet. Now, that's the the topographical equivalent of a drug-enhancing, of a performance-enhancing drug. But that was an altitude-enhancing And the issue, the issue was, should this athlete training in an artificial room that didn't have natural oxygen, but had some of the oxygen sucked out, so his body was being conditioned to do more with less oxygen, an essence of training, should he be banned? And the Olympic Committee, as I recall, said, yes, that's artificial, and therefore he's bad. And I said to myself, WTF, what is it? Does that mean you, what about you can't train? How about you're forbidden from training? Because that's unnatural. So you well, just, I think, 
I think about street clothes and you go into the Olympics <laughs> and loafers and yeah. go run races. Yeah. Well, I think, Bob, in that particular, I understand what you're saying and I agree with your point, but I think in that particular case, the actual monkey wrench was that he was training in low altitude, uh, artificially low attitude areas, but then he was taking his blood immediately thereafter training, storing it and then re-injecting it later. That, he, that he was blood doping. That's yeah. deceitful. Yeah. But I focused on is the training in a reduced oxygen room, is that the functional equivalent of a performance-enhancing drug? I agree with you 100%. It's, it's, it, it, it boggles the mind that when you compare the two, that you would, even within the context of PEDs, that that would become, because then you could argue that, well, should people, to your point, that didn't grow up with a nice uh, weight room at their disposal, are, are those wrestlers who grew up doing push-ups and such because they didn't have barbells and uh, Nautilus machines and whatever else, um, are they, through their training methods or through their economic status, are they enhanced in some way? And the answer clearly is no. I mean- but Even to take what you say, and you had suggested this earlier, the very act of training is doing something unnatural to your body. Right. And as I said with the ballerina example, training itself, that act of training, even under the guidance of a trainer and a physician, you are damaging your body. Your body has now been, had unnatural things done to it, which while you might be stronger, but probably you've damaged other parts of your body. So right. the, this, the whole concept of performance-enhancing drugs is so cynical, and it's so irrational, and it has nothing to do with sports. Now, the, I'll tell you, I'll answer my own question, okay. and I'll give you what I consider to be one of the hardest uh, uh, points to rebut about performance-enhancing drugs. Let's say you have an athlete who loves to be a professional athlete. That's what he loves to do. And he wants to be successful and get into the majors of whatever sport he's right. skillful at. And let us assume we live in my world of all drugs are allowed. He now is told, unless you take drugs and damage your body, you haven't got a shot at success. Now, there is a bit of unfairness when you, you deny that athlete a chance at the gold ring because he's not taking performance-enhancing drugs. That's I, a tough one. I don't, I, I'll, I'll play libertarian in this one, Bob. Okay. I view it as no different as when I started out on Wall Street and they told me, unless you can work 36 hours without sleep, you won't have success at this firm. There you have it. Right? And, and it was yeah. my choice. It was my choice. I decided to make some money. I went 36 hours, 40 hours without sleep. I know I've done damage to my body. I can't sleep more than three hours a night now as it is. And, that, and I'm talking about stuff that I did 25, 30 years ago. So... I understand what you're saying, but I think to me that full forms under informed consent. In my and case, I would, if I wanted to be a wealthy Wolf of Wall Street trader type, 
that's that was the price I had to pay. Um, who's that guy on TV? Um, Jim um, Jim Carvel, the guy who does the Mad Money on CNBC. Like he says, the reason he got out running his own hedge firm was he was waking up at four every morning. He was going to bed at two in the morning, and he decided at some point it wasn't worth it anymore. But it was all his choice. It was the price that was required to be at the top of his profession, and. I think that happens in a lot, not just in sports. And again, to me, once you take out the fraud, once everything's informed consent, I think we're good with it. I have one sort of parting comment about the unfairness. And I will use as the starting point of my answer, a box of Frosted Flakes. Um, mm -hmm. Now, you have no idea where I'm going with this. No, right? but I'm, I'm smiling because I want to see where you're taking a box of Frosted okay. Flakes. When I eat the fruit, when I take the frosted flakes out of the cup cupboard, which I do a lot, mm. I will glance at that little rectangle with the ingredients. Mm. So I know what's in there. And it tells me that all the sodium and all the, all the stuff, right? right? Well, I envision a world, and I say this tongue in cheek, although if I really had tongue in cheek, the audience wouldn't understand me. <laughs> it's not like I had a stroke. But I say this tongue in cheek, Performance-enhancing drugs are okay, so long as you know what's in the box. That is to say, the uniform would have on the uniform various patches indicating what drugs this athlete is taking, <laughs> like a red A. Um, and so... I was going to say, you're you're setting up your own scarlet letter for athletes. I am, totally am. Yeah. So we would know what's in that body uh, yeah. when we before we keep praise upon all the homers and all the uh, fast speeds and strength and all that stuff. Fair now enough. the fans will know, and maybe even you have leagues where leagues say, we are a do what you want to your body, sort of like kickboxing, sort of like those- MMA, cage fighting, MMA. MMA, yeah. where every there's no thing is a dirty blow, you can do whatever right. you want, and that's what you can do. Now, a professional boxer wouldn't do well there, but so they have their sport, and this is the NFL with people whose body is grotesque. And if if people want to watch that, they can. Or well, they the free, want to you're right, the free market would answer a lot of that for us, Bob. The league, like you could have pure, you could have no PED leagues where everyone signs that agreement versus the NFL where everybody's taking every, every drug on the planet. If, if both are informed, the free market will tell us which one's successful, Bob. And you know what? If we did that, the league with all the performance enhancing drugs and the grotesque bodies, yeah. um, people really destroying themselves, the with all the battle about naming of teams that are politically correct, right. the teams would be called, one would be the Lions and one would be the Christians. <laughs> <laughs> because we're all going there sitting in the stands. Sure, it's, it's like gladiator like, games, right? Bread and circus. That's, that's right, mean. that's right, that's right. So Bob, quick question uh, before we move on from this topic. In your view then, in baseball, because I know you're a baseball fan, who's the true single season home run king? Is it someone like Barry Bonds? Or is it Aaron Judge, who just hit 62 in the season? I, I hate uh, generational comparisons. 
Um, I hate comparing Lou Gehrig to a player today because, or Jim Thorpe. How can you compare Jim Thorpe to uh, a player today in the NFL? Jim Thorpe grew up on an Indian reservation. Right. And he was, there was just a biography about him, fascinating biography. He was probably the most superb American athlete Probably. Ever to be born. Certainly um, top three or four. Yeah. And he grew up on a reservation. Dirt poor. Dirt poor. So to compare one athlete's record to another with the with the improvement in overall health, in drugs, in equipment, in everything, uh, in lifestyle, it's unfair. It's unfair to the athletes in a prior generation. You have to almost like have an inflation adjusted rating you have to somehow uh, adjust babe ruth's historics uh, his records adjusted for the times sure so it's what you talk about 1920 dollars are worth more today right right yeah well, no, I got a 1920 you. home run counts as seven home runs today well unless you can do that yeah you can't do cross-generational comparisons. Fair enough. I, I, I would agree with you on that one. But let me ask you, but in the case of the home run record for a single season, it's, it's a much fairer comparison because the, the record by Barry Bonds was achieved um, maybe 20 years ago, I think. Whereas Aaron Judge hit it hit 62 this season. So it, it'll typically come down to this. Roger Maris had 61. When he was going, uh, when there were people were saying the asterisk and all that compared to Babe Ruth, because Babe Ruth was 154 games, you know, uh, uh, Maris did it in 162. Um, when you look at Barry Bonds, 162 games, he hit, uh, what was it, 73, I think, uh, in one season. So when you look at him, he's much closer to this uh, generational generation of athletes. So Aaron Judge, as far as we know, no allegations of steroid use. Who do you view as the home run king? If someone, if I were to put a a, a metaphorical gun to your head, because I would never use violence or coercion against you, Bob, who would you say is the home run king? Barry Bonds or uh, Aaron Judge? I can't tell if you're asking me a simple data question. Who has the most home runs? The answer is easy. Or whether you're asking me the implicit question, but not express, is who's the better athlete? I can't tell which of those two questions you're asking. I yeah, I'm I'm leaning more towards the emotional uh, response of uh, who do you deem for? I'll leave it to you. Whatever metric you choose to use. If I were to ask you the question, who's the single season home run king? Who would it be? Uh, today, um, uh, Judge. Judge. So you're discounting Bonds's seventy. I don't know how to because I don't know how to do the math. Gotcha. I just say I'm answering the question under the rules you imposed upon. Fair me. enough. Fair enough. But do I respect Judge more? Not necessarily. And okay. you know, you get to a point. You get to a point when these athletes have achieved so much. Who's number one? The degree to which that's a better athlete than number three is absurd. You're right. You're right. a, so therefore, you can't draw any global conclusions from that. But I can answer the question because you can't do them. Otherwise, you can't have any opinion. 
So right. I say, I can't do the math. I can't do the algorithm in my head. I can't adjust for all the variables. So I'm going to cop out. And I'm going to say, I don't want to get a headache. So judge has it for me. What else you want to talk about? So that's Fair enough. Fair enough. I got you. I got you. And that was a great discussion too, by the way. Okay, let me ask you this though, sort of along the same lines, but slightly different. Why is marijuana considered, or why is marijuana banned in most athletic leagues uh, and in the Olympics, for example? For, so in my mind, there's that old joke of, you know, if you're an alcoholic, you're, you're getting into car accidents, you're getting violent, you're getting into bar fights. But there's never been these cases of guys who are smoking weed, getting violent, uh, getting into fights, getting into arguments. They're, it tends to mellow people out. Why should marijuana, which most I think most people would agree is not a performance enhancing drug, at best it's a it's a mode of relaxation. It might be a, a, a recovery aid in some cases. We don't know 100%. There's still research being done, especially in Israel about this. But when you look at someone like Josh Gordon, who was suspended for smoking weed several times in the NFL, a very promising career cut short because of it, or Shakari Richardson, who was banned from the Olymp uh, Tokyo Olympics uh, for smoking weed, I believe to to deal with a family member's loss or something, I believe in along those lines. Bob, why is weed banned and should it be banned? I think I know the answer to part B, but why do you think something like weed is banned? Even when it's legal in the state that the player is competing for the home team. So for example, if you were to play for the Colorado Rockies, smoke weed, weed is legal in Colorado, but you would still be banned. Three reasons, superstition, politics, and marketing. Mm. Um, superstition. Some people just have this image of that marijuana, you become addict. Mm. Culture, the old movies from the 50s. Reefer Madness. Um, Reefer Madness, I was about to say it, of course. Yeah. So you have the superstition. The politics are... You go back to Nixon. Mm -hmm. uh, Nixon started, created the drug war. Yes. Nixon had two classes of Americans he despised, hippies and blacks. Yes, sir. And he hated them, hated them. And he came up with a way to attack both of them in one policy. Yep. If he declared a war on drugs, in his mind, the Blacks were the primary users of marijuana. It wasn't the case, but it was, it was, that goes back to the early part of the 20th century when it was generally understood that marijuana, when used by then called Negroes, when marijuana was used by Negroes, it made them sex crazed and uh, better pistol shots. I cite an article from 1913 in the New York Times. Mm. That was the, okay. So Nixon had this genius in a way. Um, I'll declare a war on drugs, which means I get to arrest blacks and hippies. Um, right. Look, that's the genesis of it. And there we are. It started. And by the way, there are recordings with the Nixon tapes. You can listen yes, sir. Yep. online to that very conversation between Nixon and I believe Haldeman, 
when he came up with the idea, a war on drugs is a war on my two favorite enemies, wax and hippies. So that's the politics of it. Also, uh, marijuana, although it was not, there's no medical reason, it's classified, drugs are classified based upon their uh, mind-enhancing quality, qualities and alleged danger. And marijuana was then classified as, I forgot the number, is either class It's a Schedule a, 1. It's a Schedule, schedule 1. Thank you yeah. so much. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and it's, it's politically been impossible to take it off that schedule. So, and lastly, it's illegal under federal law. You're quite right. Most states in a rebirth of federalism are feeling the roads and saying, screw the feds, we're making it legal. And so the feds are being dragged, kicking and screaming to follow the states, to my great pleasure. Yes. But you have something that's still a violation of federal law. And then you have this cultural issue that marijuana doesn't enjoy a very good press. It's never, you never could see a leave it to beaver with beaver smoking marijuana. No right, one knows right. what leave it to beaver is. Uh, on the, I do. The, I'm, I'm old enough to know you're a We're the last two. So it's not part of, and baseball basks in this marketing image America's pastime, it's a lot of right. nonsense, but it holds on to it. So it's contrary from a marketing standpoint to the America's pastime and have these cartoon images of players smoking weed before a game. That's my long answer, three-part answer yeah. to the yeah. why of your question. Yeah, and it's interesting because it is a Schedule One drug. That means in the U.S. you really can't do research into its medicinal benefits as well. So a lot of the research that's coming out about marijuana as being a, a recuperative aid, it's really coming out of Israel. And uh, they're doing a lot of the research about like how it helps soldiers coming back from battle with PTSD, how it helps uh, joints recover because it, it has anti-inflammatory properties and things like that. So uh, it is a shame that it is treated as such. And it, we really, be better off if it wasn't much like peds but marijuana in particular should be a no-brainer since i don't think it has any performing and performance enhancing qualities of course yeah all right let's move on to another topic uh very quickly which has been in the news recently bob and that's the the renewed focus on concussions in the nfl this really became another topic when Miami quarterback Tua Tagovailoa, I have trouble pronouncing his last name, let's just say Tua Tagovailoa, uh, initially he was injured against the Bills on September 25th. He was knocked down, he got up, wobbled a bit, and as is the protocol at the time, was removed from the game. Uh, there was an independent spotter who signaled the referee. The referee indicated that Tua had to be removed from the game. He was entered into the concussion protocols and he was not allowed to re-enter the game. Now, or I believe he did not re-enter later, but he was taken out for examination. Now, this was an agreement between the players union and the NFL. So this was a voluntary course of action. It was not a government course of action. Controversially, because the Dolphins uh, were playing a Thursday night game, Tua was back in there starting three days later on the 28th. 
against the Bengals. And in that game, he was hit hard. And on national television, uh, for all the nation to watch, he was injured again and suffered a neurological event where it was really difficult to watch. You know, he, he crumpled, his hands were in, contorted in ways that I can't replicate right now. He was removed on the stretcher and a lot of people were, were exposed to that sort of injury. Now, there were calls for renewed concussion protocols. The independent neurologist was fired, um, things of that nature. How do you feel about this? Should the NFL be proactive in protecting players from themselves from re-entering the game when they feel they're ready to re-enter as opposed to when the team doctors or the league feel they're ready to participate. Assuming that the liability issues are, are not prominent here, meaning that if a player decides to come back against the advice of the NFL, there's no legal repercussions where the player can come back and sue them uh, unless there was some sort of fraud. Do you know what I mean? Like you're, you don't have a concussion, you have a, a boo-boo on your, on your back or something, you know? assuming that isn't going on, but just on principle, should they be allowing players who have had concussions to come back on the player schedule instead of the team schedule? Uh, of course, of course, the league and the union should have control as they have always had since the Packers football team was formed in, in, uh, in the 1920s. Um, of, they league every sport has rules. Sure. Every single sport has rules. Um, it wouldn't be a sport without it. So to say the fact and some rules are done for protecting players. Every sport, boxing, which is with a whole sport is hurting the other. Boxing has very strict rules um, because it makes sense. It makes economic sense. It makes humane sense. So, of course, so this is nothing other than another rule, like you can't do a crackback block. Nobody questions whether crackback blocks should be cause of a penalty. It makes sense. It's the same thing. It's almost too easy a question. Gotcha, gotcha. And actually, I was even going to throw out that the league has a self-interest business-wise because the public reaction to seeing a player who's been concussed come back on the field and then suffer a follow-up injury where they're crippled or, or severely impaired visually, that's bad for business. Of course it is. Of Their revenue is. will go down. So they have a vested business interest in saying, we are not going to allow this. And to the, to the point that it's being handled privately, so to speak, between the union, the players union and the NFL teams, I think that's a good thing. So I'm less inclined to be a laissez-faire around concussions necessarily as I am around PEDs, but I'm, I'm glad to well, see this that. Is the, the, we have had the um, uh, federal government with strict laws on workplace safety. It, yes. Now think of factories law. We have long since accepted them. We hope they're not irrational and they're not silly, but the doctrine is before there was federal law, there were unions, and unions put that in their contracts. Ultimately, the federal government and the country accepted the fact that workplace safety is in everybody's best interest, and the unions no longer have to bargain for it because it's now a question of federal law. Right. So this is nothing other than 
workplace safety, except it's a it's a football gridiron, not a factory floor. Right, right. I and I tend to agree with you. I tend to agree with that sort of philosophy. All right, Bob, the last topic on the schedule for today, and I know it's a favorite of yours. Let's talk about stadium subsidies and whether these are a good or a bad thing. Now, when we say subsidies, it's a little bit of a misnomer. We're saying, should special consideration be given to a private entity, a baseball team, a football team, the NFL, the MLB, by the state in order to build a stadium within the state? Uh, sort of like uh, what happens when the Olympics uh, go up for bids for, for host countries and host states and cities, right? What's your opinion on this? Should this be something that's happening? Should this be something that the state is involved in? Or would you rather see this be 100% privatized? Yeah, it should. The state can be involved if they can make the economic argument. Mm. Uh, this, now, states... And, and this is a subset of a larger issue, but we'll stick with the subset. The larger issue is, you recall, because you're a New Yorker, mm -hmm. that Amazon was going to build a big second headquarters in Long Island City. Yes, sir. And AOC and the other progressives uh, got rid of them. They didn't get to do it. Right. And, Amazon made the case that yes, they were getting subsidies, but they were going to create lots and lots and lots of jobs, lots and lots and lots of payroll, enhance an area that was could use the enhancing law in our city. So if the conversation is on the merits, it's a business transaction. And if the states can justify it as a business transaction, fine with me. But what has happened is it is. So there's a perceived political benefit by politicians of being of presiding over a major league city. We all know that. Mm -hmm. Buffalo is in the news, you're in New York, and Buffalo, the Bills just got a big wad of money from your unfortunate on your governor. Mm -hmm. um, right. And maybe her husband, who has the concessions there, might have had a little something to do with it. But that's for another show, perhaps, or maybe for a show we'll never have. Fine with me. But so, but if it makes sense on the merits, and it rarely does, because the politician can't help but believe, sometimes correctly, that they get a lot of additional support simply by keeping a major league team in their geographic area or bringing one to the area. Right. So the fans don't question the economics because they don't care. People who live in Buffalo want to have the bills and they don't care what it costs. It's a luxury. And by the way, that's, that's okay if the voters have a say in that. It's their money. But what happens is there's a, there's a, a political slash economic doctrine um, called public choice. And the public choice theory is, uh, was first written about by James Buchanan, um, a, uh, a free market economist, got Nobel Prize for it, mm -hmm. where he points out what would seem to be obvious, but it's not. 
And the public choice theory is that the politicians, those in government, be, are no different in their motivation, in their goals, than in the private sector. That is to say, everybody wants to enhance their life, wants to enhance their standing in the community, wants to succeed at what they're doing and have more power, more control. Now, in the private sector, you do so by producing profits for your company. In the public sector, you do so by enhancing, by getting reelected and accumulating power. Right. So they're not bad actors, they are simply responding to the same stimulus that everybody else does. The point is, once voters get in their head that the politician somehow is selfless, is this charitable, good-minded person who is subordinating his own desires to those of his constituents, you're to road to ruin. They're not. They're regular. I'm not saying they're worse, but they sure know better. Right. Therefore, the tempt the since a politician, let's take the Buffalo Bills, the stadium at Buffalo, since they are not, their performance is not measured exclusively by the bottom line. Therefore, their decisions are not based on exclusively the bottom line. And where they are using our money so that they get reelected, that's the bad part. They rarely make the case on the economic merits. And once they don't, then it's, a, it's just a wrong-headed decision. I, you know, I understand what you're saying, but I'm going to push back a little bit. I, okay. I generally don't think government should be involved in the business of business. Um, I view the government as a referee at best. I don't view them as an active participant. So to me, um, bonds, I don't care if they're voted on. I don't care if there's a referendum. Because as I've always said, I'm not interested in democracy. I'm interested in liberty. So here in New York, we just had a referendum on a green initiative. Uh, to raise money through the issuance of bonds. This is debt that's being incurred in my name, whether I voted for it or not. To the extent that this is something that should not be done by government, locally or federally, but especially federally, but I don't think it's the proper role of government to decide who gets a team. Plus, government has coercive powers that it also intermixes in this, the most obvious one being eminent domain. Uh, we saw that with the Brooklyn Nets. How in the world was a stadium built in essentially a residential area in Brooklyn? By the way, once we start talking about the related companies and Ratna and the intent, the corruption in Brooklyn, that's not a show, it's a semester. Fair and enough. So but but do, you, do you see my point in that government in and of itself is highly susceptible, if not always resulting in corruption? So to be in a position where the government is providing favors to the person who says like, okay, what are you gonna give me? And we'll give you tax abatements, we'll give you tax rebates, we'll give you um, favored, um, uh, favored pricing. We're gonna, we're gonna use eminent domain to take people's properties away from them below cost. 
to me, this is always the end result. I don't care what the noble intention was, as Milton Friedman used to say in politics, all noble in intentions lead to the same place and it's not good, right? Um, right. So I, I, therefore I would push back against you because I, I doubt there's ever been a case where anything that was promised through stadium subsidization by government has ever worked out. I don't care if it's the Olympics. I don't care if it was the Bill Stadium. Uh, Shea Stadium is part of the World's Fair in 1964 in Queens. I don't think it ever works out. We're a capitalistic based society. Let private business, they want to find a, a state that works for them. Probably they're going to find one that has favorable tax rates in general. But to offer them specifically to a business in order to bring their business to the state, I find a little bit dishonest and abhorrent. So, um, for example, we were already seeing NFL players like uh, Tyreek Hill said, they asked him like, why didn't you join the Jets? Why'd you join the Dolphins? And he said, hey man, no income, no state income tax in Florida. In New York, they want, you know, out of my 30 million a year, they're gonna keep 8 million. I don't wanna go to the Jets. So we already see that given just state policies, general state policies, businesses will decide where to go. And if having a stadium, having a pro team is beneficial, the better way to attract them is we're making it easier for you to live in this state, to be in the state, to conduct business in the state, not you specifically, but we are a, a business friendly state. It's the reason why businesses are fleeing California and they're going to places like Texas, they're fleeing New York to go to Florida. I think the same should apply to sports teams. I see no reason why government should be involved in any subsidization of any stadium. I, by the way, you mentioned in the course of every syllable of what you said, I agree with. So okay. you mentioned, you mentioned don't tax corporations. I agree. We can do a whole show sure. on the yeah. insanity of the corporate income tax. Right. Different subject. Don't tax individual income tax, Florida versus New York. That's a whole show. And by the way, general principle of taxation is the more you tax something, the less you get of it. Right. Which means if you tax income, people do less income. So what you want to tax bad things, not good things. Uh, but but also the trouble, and I agree with you that in general, government should not be in business. I you said they didn't be doing it, but if the government, New York City has a police force. Is that being in the business of being police? Are you saying you oppose, for example? I mean, I'm saying where, sure. where I have trouble with the line. Should New York City outsource the police department to a private security company under contract, maybe borough by borough? Should they yeah. outsource the fire department? You're right. Yeah, you're so right. Therefore, and look, in some places outside New York City, say in Long Island or something, you do have volunteer fire departments that are not necessarily under the, the uh, auspices of the local government. Um, the anarchist faction of libertarianism would certainly say privatize the police, privatize the fire department, right? But I think the proper answer, if you're a classical liberal libertarian or a minarchist libertarian is one of the few legitimate roles of government is protection from aggression and the protection of rights, individual rights, to the extent that the police accomplish that, 
that's a necessary evil of government and one of its few proper functions. Except, so, except, except, if New York City outsourced the police force, but under the contract, they told you are being hired to protect rights, all the stuff that you say is the, so I agree with you, government has to make sure these rights are protected, but you're assuming that the government couldn't hire a private company to do it. After all, they hire cops to do it individually. Sure. So why do you care whose name is on the W-2, whether it's the city or a private company, so long as the job is being done pursuant to constitutional rules? So the point is, once you get involved in economics, it's kind of hard to say what's a governmental function. And I say governmental function should be make the rules but I don't care if they have a private cop. I mean, a cop who gets a salary. He's sure. in. Okay. Yeah, I, I can I can go along with that. Okay. Um, but to the extent that you're saying, well, what's a bright line? One bright line is if they get involved in business that has nothing to do with government. And in my opinion, sports are that, right? They should not be getting involved in subsidization of uh, stadiums or the attracting of teams, say, to come in to, to take an existing stadium or anything like that. I would be. And I agree yeah. because the history is they always make the wrong decision. Therefore, I say we reach the same place. I say I couldn't agree more because they're terrible at it. Okay. <laughs> You're being very practical about it, Bob. You're saying, well, they couldn't do right even if they wanted to. So why bother? Big John, it's the bottom line. <laughs> and you know what, Bob? That to me sounds like the perfect way to end this show. That's the bottom line. Thank you so much. Do me a favor. I, it was great having you on the show again. Definitely. And you know I, you know I mean it when I say I'm going to have you back now. But do, do us a favor. Give it, Tell us when you're on, when your show is on, where people can tune in to Thank find you. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a Bob Zeta show. It's a podcast, of course. Uh, we have a new show that drops into the podcast Monday morning, and we do a new show every week. I record the show. I uh, recorded um, my show yesterday for Sunday. We broadcast it live stream at 860 The Answer, which is the AM station, which is my host. That's live stream, 8 a.m. Pacific time, Sunday morning at 860 The Answer. We're on we're on live. We're also on AM stations because I'm old school. Uh, I still remember um, uh, disc jockeys on sure. radio, um, yep. Alan Freed and the like. New oh York. my goodness! It was in Cleveland. Um, so we're on six AM stations on the West Coast uh, at eight AM Sunday morning, and of course the podcast, whatever you wish. Thank and, you so much for giving me a chance to mention that. No, absolutely. And you're at bobzadek.com. Z-A-D-E-K, bobzadek.com. All right. And we'll make sure we have that on the screen for our listeners. And before we get all Cousin Brucey on us here, uh, talking about old school DJs, uh, uh, Bob, uh, I, I will say it was a pleasure having you on. I'm looking forward to our next uh, show when we get the chance. And until next time, everyone, come back to The Big Question with Big John for more interesting conversations with interesting people. See you next time. Thanks a lot, John.